It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the programme, Charlie Weston uh, is writing in the papers today and comes as the bearer of not too good news. It's, uh, you know, just when we think things are starting to come down a little bit in price. Charlie has the story today that a string of telecom companies are increasing their prices and that obviously is going to put further pressure on households, particularly household budgets that are already stretched uh, to the limits. Some of these increases mightn't sound like a lot of money, but if you're living on a very fixed budget that it can just tip somebody over. You've got Air, Vodafone and Three Island. They're all set to put up their prices in the next couple of months. For some people, a bundle for example, it could go up by as much as €96 per year. And of course, this has been announced following Sky Ireland. They've already come out saying that many of their 600,000 customers in Ireland, they're going to see price rises for broadband and TV subscriptions. Descriptions. The Sky Move, for example, will mean an average increase for households of around €52 Euro a year. That's from April of this year. The average increase works out at 4.1%. And of course, they had a similar increase around the same time last year. But now the news is coming out that the this country's largest telecom provider, and of course the largest telecom provider is uh, Air, they are going to rise their prices from the start of April. Like Three Ireland and Vodafone, Air has switched to this model of annual increases and the annual increases every single year and all of the telecommunications companies are doing it. They will go with whatever the rate of inflation is and then they'll have a set percentage amount on top of the rate of inflation. And I remember we were talking about this uh, last year and people were thinking, you're not just, it's bad enough that things are going to increase by the rate of inflation, but why do you need to add a percentage on top? But that's the model that they are using. So AIRS increased prices from the consumer index for December uh, will be what the consumer index was for for December. And they have decided this year they're going to add 3% on top of the rate of inflation. So the monthly cost for customers who joined AIRS are if you reconnected with your air service, renewed your contract uh, before 1st of March this year, the rise will be 7.6% from the 1st of April. That works out 96 euro a year or about 8 euro a month. If a customer has a broadband and phone with a standard monthly price of 66 euro from April, that will go up by 5 euro. Now air, when they're asked about it, why are they putting their prices up? They say they're investing 250 million 
billion euro in telecom infrastructure. And what that will do is it'll deliver fibre and connectivity, they say, to 84% of homes and businesses throughout the country. So they're saying they're putting it back in uh, to their infrastructure. Then that's Air Vodafone say their prices for customers will also rise from uh, April but they at this stage haven't confirmed the level of the rises. One spokesperson for Vodafone said they're in the process of finalising the rate and then they'll communicate it to their customers in due course. So if you're with Vodafone you can expect to hear from them and it's expected it'll follow the same line as Air. They'll go up by 7.6% which will be uh, the annual cost of inflation which last December was at 4.6% and it looks like they'll go with 3%, which is the very same thing that AIR has done. And then the other mobile phone operator, 3 Ireland, they say the cost of their plans also going up by 7.6%. Uh, again, breaking it down the same way, rate of inflation plus 3%. Three customers, they say, on certain plans will see an adjustment applied to their monthly reoccurring charge from April as agreed in their contract. You need to read the small print, don't you? Uh, three said the increases were required to support continued investment. They say it's for and for cost management process as operating costs continue to uh, increase. And I saw in the article by Charlie Weston that Dara Cassidy from the price comparison website bonkers.ie, regular contributor on this programme, he said the move to inflation-linked annual hikes suggests what he says what's going on is priced signaling signaling and price signaling is occurs when a business will make their competitors aware of what they intend and how much they intend to increase their prices by. Then obviously all the competitors know and lo and behold, everyone seems to be putting up their prices by the same amount. Now price signalling is actually a breach of competition law. The Competition and Consumer Protection Commission had no comment though when asked for its view on this inflation-linked price rises and if it was all price signalling. But is it just a bit of a coincidence that they're all going to be going up by exactly the same amount, cost of inflation plus a percentage amount and the percentage amount all seem to be the uh, same. So be warned, Air Vodafone 3 Ireland, you can expect uh, increases in your prices from uh, April. But just staying on telecommunications, well, that's a kind of a, a Debbie Downer story. There is good news. And this is one of those stories that kind of makes you smile. It's to do with householders in a Kerry Valley that were the very last place in Ireland to be connected to the electricity grid almost half a century ago. This particular valley in Kerry are now going to be receiving high speed, speed fibre broadband and they'll have it installed by late summer of this year. Obviously, it's all part of the national uh, Broadband Ireland uh, plan and the firm is rolling out the plan. They've confirmed the works are underway in the Black Valley in Kerry and they're going to install high fibre, high speed fibre broadband. Now Black Valley residents they were only connected to the national grid. Electricity only arrived in the Black Valley, wait for this, in 1976, which isn't that long ago. Now, seemingly a lot of locals joke, and I imagine they probably tell the Americans this and the Americans fall for it. They joke that the area Black Valley got its name because they were left in the dark for so long without uh, electricity. Uh, but now uh, Black Valley householders will get high-speed broadband that, and their connections, they'll have really fast connections and it'll be on on par with connections you'd expect in in some of our cities, like in Dublin here in Cork and in uh, Limerick. So they're getting high speed uh, broadband. 
And also the National Broadband Ireland say there are other plans they're rolling out broadband. I, I saw a press release from them talking about they're going to the islands, uh, for example. I know Bear Island of uh, West Cork was also uh, mentioned and rural rights campaigners. They've always stressed that the National Broadband Plan ranks as one of the ranks as one of the most important social and economic initiatives of the past 25 years. And of course it does, because it means if you put high speed broadband into very rural areas, it means that people can do business from those areas. It means people can work in those areas, work remotely. And we're seeing so many more people working remotely. So it will bring people and people. there are many people who would love to live in rural uh, Ireland but can't because they, they're not able to work and they're not able to get the connectivity that they need for broadband. So th- this is going to be, is, it is a real, real um, uh, plus for rural areas. And, you know, when we first started talking about the National Broadband Plan, many of the rural rights uh, campaigners, you know, spoke about this was on par with rural electrification. So well done to everybody in the Black Valley. But I was kind of taken aback to say they only got electricity. It was only back in 1976. When I was talking about the uh, cost to the telecom companies and TV companies putting up their price, somebody says, Patricia, the best thing everyone can do, do away with the TV and listen to the radio. That'll fix them. Yeah, well, you could you could give up on your TV subscription, but unfortunately, it's the cost of broadband and it's the cost of your phone is going up as well. But I thank you uh, for your loyalty and support of uh, radio. Thank you for your text. And actually, just um. TVs, if anybody out there has a, what are famously called the dodgy boxes. More than 20 ceased and desist letters have been issued to people suspected of selling illegal streaming services, which of course are known as a, a dodgy box. It's the third wave in a series of legal warnings that have been either delivered in person to people, they've gone by post or by email and it's to uh, people all across the country and there's people involved in providing illegal access to premium TV accounts. It's sometimes referred to as IPTV. So the cease and desist notices instruct those run, running, selling modified smart TV devices to immediately stop all illegal streaming activity. And if they don't, they'll face consequences, which includes criminal prosecution. And the latest issue, uh, the latest number of warnings have gone to a number of counties. And one of the counties is here with us in uh, Cork. And they were issued between the 22nd of January and the 2nd of February, because we mentioned this last year, there was a wave of warnings were issued in March and in uh, August and they're issued under copyright theft and they targeted more than 60 people back in March and uh, August but more of those ceased 20 more have uh, gone out will it make a difference only time will tell 0818 uh, 103 103 and just an update from yesterday that pothole that's on the Kilbrin Road outside of Canturk that a number of people contacted us about about we got onto Cork County Council and they've been back on to say that they have dispatched a crew and they are going to investigate the matter so keep us updated if you're in that area I particularly like to hear if that pothole has been sorted out and we're also on to Irish Water and we are waiting a response because we've had some calls in from people living 
in St. Coleman's Place in Butterfront. Now, currently what's going on in that area is contractors for Ishka Aaron. They're working in the estate. Now, they're replacing old pipes, which is fantastic. Good news. And everybody knows a lot of those old pipes need to be replaced. It'll it'll stop the endless burst pipes uh, happening. But some of the residents have been told that individual pipes will have to go through their homes. Some homes will need, uh, and that's it's to do with the fact that the stopcocks are located at the back of the house. One resident, for example, was told the contractor could drill into the side wall of the house and bring the pipe in that uh, way. But residents are asking if they can say no, if they don't want that kind of work, because some of it's going to be upheaval in their households and they don't know if they want their house, you know, part of their house dug up to get new water pipes uh, put in. And if they do refuse, what would happen? Others are saying that these houses were built in the early 50s. If damage is caused because of the drilling, who will be liable? Is it the contractor or is it Ishka Aaron? So we're trying to get clarity on all of those points and we are getting on to Ishka Aaron as soon as they get back to us. I will bring you their response. Now, Gardaí have said they are dedicated to ensuring the safety of all communities in the Douglas area. This is following multiple reports of youths engaging in antisocial behaviour in recent weeks. Local Fianna Fáil, Councillor Deirdre Ford feels this type of behaviour needs to be nipped in the bud and uh, she joins me. Good morning to you, Deirdre. Good morning, Patricia. You're very welcome. Now, what, what are you hearing from some of these antisocial in, in incidents in the Douglas area? And are we mainly talking about young people? We're mainly talking about young people and in some cases, quite young. Um, and it's not just in one area. You know, I'm hearing them from different areas. But the incidences that were brought to my attention were of youths really acting, doing more than acting the maggot, as we'd say, you know, um, we all know that boys and girls can be you know, exuberant, if you like. But this was more than that. This was lashing out at people standing waiting for buses. It was producing an implement to scare other youths, uh, uh, you know, kicking people. And a, a little bit more than that. That's at the, the lighter end of it. So um, when I got three or four complaints in the one week, alarm bells started going off. And I thought, let's put out the message um, that we are not going to tolerate this. I spoke to the Gardaí immediately, who assured me the local community guard and, of course, the Gardaí sergeant in Toker over the district. Um, I spoke to them and they told me that they're actively chasing up. They knew who was involved and they were going to take the matter very seriously. So I said, there's a long, hot summer coming, hopefully, Patricia, and we don't want this escalating. And people will be out of school. And I noticed as well as that, you know, um, they're doing it in and around some schools as well. You know, I'm hearing stories now. I can't verify some of them, but I'm told that there's quite a bit of kind of bullying going on. And I said, let's put out the clear warning to young people and their families that this will be taken very seriously. And it's just, yeah, and it's not, not acceptable. And I know there's videos during the round. I, I saw a, a video um, and it was, you know, a young, young guy. It was bullying, but I mean, he was getting a, a fair beating. And he sort of came into my mind this morning when I was reading in the paper of a, a young man who is in very seriously um, injured in hospital. And it was one of these one punch attacks and it happened in Limerick over the weekend and now he's been treated for serious injuries uh, it's including a bleed to the brain and, and he's actually um, in Cork University Hospital at the moment. That's something that starts out as 
can even just be horseplay or even bullying, but it can have devastating consequences. This is the point that I wanted to bring home, Patricia, and the media do it very well also. You know, for 10 seconds of temper, you know, it it can ruin your life. You can't travel to certain countries. You might get a sentence. And worst of all, that you could cause serious damage to a young person. And that family is ruined then as well. And, and maybe it affects your employment prospects and your college prospects afterwards. So I think we need to talk to young people. You see, too, there, there are a lot of issues going on uh, for young people. And sometimes they can't cope. They feel they can't talk to anybody about and maybe that's why they kind of lash out with that frustration. So we've got to kind of train them to say, look, talk to somebody that you trust if you feel yourself going down that road, because the guards have assured me these incidences will not be tolerated and they will lead to prosecutions. Okay, yeah, um, and then there's bravado, I think, when you get gangs together, particularly when, when you're looking at it from a bullying point of view. It's like this bravado of, of being the bully and that's where we need decent, nice young people to stand up and say that this is not acceptable. I, I agree thoroughly with you. I've come across kind of roving gangs down through the years. Um, but the Gardaí took a very firm line with them and they'd be drink involved sometimes. And when the Gardaí called the parents in, then there's utter shock. So, look, we all know we barely scraped through ourselves, you know, without getting into trouble. And I know that, you know, young people by and large are marvellous and they do an awful lot of good. Um, but as you say, when they get together, there's the herd mentality and they don't want to be seen to break that Omerta, if you like, you mm. know. Are there, are there uh, so, enough community Gardaí? Are, are you confident that there's enough community Gardaí? Because it's community well, Gardaí are great to, to, to stop this kind of activity. Superb. And I think the stats will show that the community Gardaí are vital. Now, we all know we don't have enough Gardaí at the minute. Thankfully, there was, was 6,000 taken on uh, to go through the training there recently. Yeah. And hopefully the vast majority of them will come through. Obviously, they've increased the age limit, which is no harm. And I see also that the Guard and Reserve Force are going to be beefed up. You know, the reserve, the, the older... Yeah, they're, they're trying to increase it by a thousand. I saw exactly. that. I saw that uh, yeah. during the week. So, but then I know on our news this morning, uh, we're reporting that the Gardaí are investing a number of incidents that occurred. This was on the north side of the city uh, last night. I mean, you know, scary things. Fireworks, I, like, for example, I being aimed that. at uh, at Gardaí. But the local Sinn Féin councillor, Thomas Gould, is saying there are enough, there's not enough Gardaí resources available to deal with incidents like this, public order incidents. Well, you know, we, we are short of Gardaí. There's no getting away from it. Um, and the Gardaí are doing their best. But I mean, there's responsibility on us all. Parents, young people, we all are part of the community. And, you know, the lesson should be learned much earlier in life that this is unacceptable. Because I know there are many parents out there with young people and they're saying, behave yourself when you go out. Don't get into trouble. Mm. Keep away. Turn the other cheek. But like when they go out then, they suffer for that when these gangs go at them. And, you know, I, I think that the message is loud and clear. 
um, you know, there will be serious repercussions on the family if the young person gets into deep trouble. Yeah. And yeah, and, know, and, and also on the, on the antisocial uh, behaviour and, you know, and sometimes, as I say, it can start out as just seeming like a little bit of horseplay, but it can be taken too far. Uh, it's important that people report these incidents. Yes, it is. And I think the guard, and, and it's very important what they ask for it to be uh, noted when they ring the Garda station because it, it points then to certain areas having constant trouble. Now, I know somebody wrote to me and said that they had no uh, faith that things were being followed up, but that is not so. I have been assured by the local community guard and I'm in constant touch with him as are other councillors and the sergeant. I have their numbers. I can ring them any time, which is only right. They could ring me. But then, you know, people... Our parents, our young people out there can also ring if they feel that they're under pressure. Yeah. You know, there's OK, but the, but the message today is for parents to speak to your young, your, your young, your, your young sons and uh, daughters, because the, the consequences of and the effects that this could have on their future life. They don't see that when they're 14, 15, 16, but there's, there can be dire consequences for the rest of their lives. Well, you know, this is it. And the horseplay has changed over the years. I mean, it was when I was growing up at home, it was, it was robbing birds' nests was what the young fellas were doing, you know. Um, of course, I was fewer. I didn't do any of that. No, you were Patricia. good. You were a very good little girl. Of course you were. Listen, dear. <laughs> you were good. We leave I it was. at that. <laughs> Listen, have, have, okay. uh, thank you for that and have a good day. And thanks for joining us. Okay. Good morning to you. Bye bye. That is uh, local Cork City Councillor uh, Deirdre Fort for Fine Gael. 0818103103. And thank you to somebody who actually was on to us yesterday about that pothole that we've been talking about on the Kilbrin uh, Road into Kenturk. And um, they've been back on to say, Patricia, that pothole has been filled, which with, with, with what looks like a really good job. And the good news is that the pool of water has gone off the road. Thank you for highlighting it. Well, listen, we're really too glad to highlight it and well done to the council uh, who reacted in fairness as soon as we pointed out what was going on even though a number of listeners said that they had reported uh, the pothole and, and nothing was done but it's been sorted now and it's filled in and the lack of water is the most important one that's been taken off the road. Now let's stay on the topic of antisocial behaviour and criminal activity because the Skibbereen based councillor has called for the reactivation of community alert groups across the county. Independent councillor Karen Coakley joins me to explain why she has made this uh, call. Good morning to Good morning, Patricia. Good morning to all the listeners. And you're welcome. Now, what is the current situation with community alert groups? Are some still working away as normal? Some groups are working. Now, at the recent Joint Policing Committee meeting, they were giving us a list of all the statistics. And I just simply paused and I asked the question, you know, if anything more can be done to rejuvenate them? Because we've some fantastic groups throughout the country. But... I think it goes back to COVID and people not going out and we just need to get momentum going again and we need to get people in the community more vigilant and, you know, start reporting things and just to be on the lookout for everything. And be on the lookout for each other. I think that's the one thing that's so important. And I mean, a well-run community alert group, do you believe it can give great peace of mind uh, to local people, especially elderly people who might be living on their own, if they're aware that there's a strong community alert group in their area? Absolutely. Peace of mind is something that everybody wants, but in particular, older people are more vulnerable. Now, you know, there, there are a lot of groups that send out texts and they have alerts for people, but we must bear in mind that a lot of older people 
they're not confident with technology. In fact, some of them would fear it. So we need to have the personal touch where everybody is looking out for everyone. If you think of community, you think it's got to be communication, cooperation, collaboration, and vigilance being most important. So again, it goes back to just everybody looking out. If you see something, it doesn't look right. You've got to report it. And I often talk to the Gardaí and I say that I meet people and they tell me such a thing happened and they think it was a small thing. And, you know, what's the point in reporting it? These things have to be reported because if they're not reported, nothing can be done about it. So, you know, if we can reactivate the groups and just get everybody working together, it will work best. Is there a cost factor in setting up a community alert group? There isn't. Basically, it's time. Now, Mint and Atira do great work and... I mean, a lot of groups would have fundraised in the past. So it's not particularly about a financial cost. It's more about time. Now, I have spoke to the Gardaí on a few occasions, and I have to compliment them. Look, they're doing great work, and, you know, they are struggling with their numbers. Their workload is massive. But what would be great is if we had some guidance from the Gardaí, and that's why I asked the question at the Joint Policing Committee meeting, and hoping that maybe at the next meeting they would have suggestions that the public can work in cooperation with the Gardaí. The Gardaí can't do everything. The public can't do everything. It has to be working together. And are, are they, when you brought it up at the, the Joint Policing Committee, are they very supportive of community alert groups? Absolutely. They realise the importance of it. I mean, especially if you look in, you know, rural Ireland, you know, people might not have neighbours very close by and you know, people have to have contact and they've just got to be, you know, looking out for things. It's a very worthwhile initiative and rural Ireland is where it is most important. But um, the Gardaí definitely support it. But again, it's just have people on board that will also be part of it. Yeah, you mentioned Winton Atira. They were, um, they set it up back in the 80s. I was, I was looking this up yesterday. It was back in 1984 was actually, and at the time, that was, there was, there was a spike in rural crime because Community Alert was set up for rural areas. Absolutely. And I mean, just looking around my area here now in Skibreen, you see the signs. So you would hope that, you know, if criminals are coming into an area, that the signs are there and you'd hope that they would be more deterrents. But that's just not enough. We've got to be more active on the ground. And this is looking out for strange cars that might be loitering in an area, for example. It is completely. You know, if anybody sees something and, you know, if it hits them and they think it's a little bit strange, act, act on it and report it. And the Gardaí will often say, you know, they would prefer to get a call about something like that. And if it's nothing, that's fine. But it's better off just to act on it. And, you know, just, just to make sure that everything is okay. And, you know, sometimes something can escalate into something more. So if we can kind of nip it in the bud and just be more proactive and have the community and the Gardaí working together. Yeah, and I, actually I'm just thinking of a couple of weeks ago we got a call in about this and it's, it's a, a real good example of community looking out for each other and it was a, a neighbour had noticed this elderly couple with all of the rogue tradesmen that are doing the rounds had noticed that this elderly couple had somebody in who were trying to do some kind of a work on, I think it was cleaning tarmac or I, I can't remember now exactly what they what they were doing but this the neighbour realised there's something sus going on here so he rang this couple's son to say, are you aware that your parents are having some work done on the driveway? And so the son said, oh, no, that shouldn't be happening. So the son got straight into the car and went down. Now, he ran these people because the job they were doing for the price they were charging was was astronomical. But but to me, that was community alert at its very best. It was just somebody noticing something that didn't sit right with them. Absolutely. It's that gut instinct, isn't it? Yeah. And I mean, we joke about having nosy neighbours, but, you know, there's a difference between being nosy and being vigilant. And like in that case now, that's so important. Now, 
you know, we all hear of the scams every day. We're all getting texts and different things. And we can put it up on social media. And that's great. And you're warning people. But it's the people that aren't on social media. Again, the older people not using technology. They don't know. And, you know, if somebody comes to the door, you know, sometimes people, if they're lonesome, they're so glad to see somebody that they will entertain them. And the price and the financial side of it doesn't always come into it, but the trust is broken. And that's what we need to look out for. We need to, you know, just just to warn people, be vigilant, as you said, Patricia. Um, you know, just just be cagey almost. Yeah. And and to get a community alert off the ground, we're looking for local people, isn't it? I mean, that's that, that's how it's that's how it operates. Absolutely. I mean, we have one here in Skibreen. Um, we're just hoping that we have a bit more guidance that the local Gardaí will be able to come on board and they'll steer us in the right direction. But I mean, as it is, I think every community is actually doing this already. You know, if we do see something, a lot of people are reporting it and they are looking out for their neighbours. But it's something, I suppose, that we can't repeat often enough that we have to keep on doing this. Yeah, and as you say, I mean, the, the, the community text alert is, is brilliant for people that, who have access to that. But I suppose we need to move that on in that if, if you have a text alert and you know that somebody down the road doesn't have a smartphone, it's to pass on the information that you've received. I mean, something as simple as that could be. Absolutely. And again, it, it's just back to peace of mind for older people. I mean, they have to have something, and I think it's the personal touch. Yes, the text alert system is fantastic, but, you know, if somebody doesn't have a system that they can get that text, whatever, that somebody can, you know, maybe call to them and that there would be somebody they could trust in these groups. Okay. And that's what it's all about. It's the trust of the community alert groups. And they, the groups themselves know the people that are vulnerable as well. And somebody's asking, are we into Natira? Are they still involved in, in helping groups? Uh, I believe they are. They yeah. are indeed. Yeah, OK. Uh, so it's community activists that we need to. And as it you is. say, a lot of those groups, they were there. The genesis of them is probably still there. The signs, as you say, are still there. But the people involved, maybe they've just got a bit older and they're not able to do it. It's somebody else to, uh, to, to take up the mantle. And, and take it over. That's exactly it. And I think, again, Patricia, it goes back to COVID. A lot of these groups were doing fantastic until that. And when COVID hit and the groups couldn't get out, I mean, the groups would meet in community halls in different places. And it was almost a social thing as well for people. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. people discussing other ideas in the community. And it's sadly, it's just one of those things that it was almost a victim to COVID. And it just needs to be rejuvenated again. OK. All right. Listen, good suggestion, uh, Karen. Thank you for that. And thanks My for pleasure. joining us. Good morning to you. Thanks. That is uh, Councillor Karen uh, Coakley in uh, Ghibberine 0818103103 as she says there are still some very strong community alert groups but you know some have just uh, sadly fallen by the wayside we need to get them uh, rejuvenated and reactivated 0818103103 John Paul taking your calls along with uh, Stephen you can always email the programme as well Cork today at c103.ie and talking of emails got an email in uh, overnight uh, from a listener who doesn't want her name called out which is fine saying this might sound like a bizarre request but I'm wondering if you could put a shout out to your listeners, I'm looking to buy a set, three if possible, of ornamental mallard wall flying ducks. My mother had a set of them which were of huge sentimental value but unfortunately over the years they all got broken. Would anyone have one that they would be willing willing to sell? It would be amazing if I could replace them. And the listeners very kindly uh, sent on a picture of uh, the three 
the three mallard flying wall ducks. And we were to, when I saw the pictures today, I was thinking um, th- there was one of the houses in Coronation Street. One of the characters in Coronation Street used to have the three ducks up on a wall. Remember the character who used to wear the curlers in her hair and kind of the, the headscarf uh, over it and there was these mallard flying ducks were always up on the wall. Now what I did was I went on eBay because eBay are always great for finding things like that and there certainly are, are some sets uh, for sale in the UK but ideally if we could get some of these locally and I was thinking maybe a charity shop maybe somebody did a clear out of a house and handed in these ducks when they emptied somebody's maybe granny's house has been sold and somebody took the flying ducks off the wall so maybe somebody has spotted them in a charity shop or has anybody spotted them in a second hand uh, shop because I don't I certainly don't think you could buy them new anymore these are the very old mallard uh, wall wall flying ducks that you put up on the wall and they come they're in three different sizes isn't it sort of small Small, medium and large. I think that's that's the way they are. Anyway, if anybody knows or what direction we can point at this listener in, please let us know. We were talking about antisocial behaviour uh, in the last hour. Somebody has sent us on a, a piece that the uh, Garda Siakona have put up or put up on their social media earlier on in the month. And it's Garda in Rathcormac are investigating criminal damage to a national monument in Castle Lines. It's the old Carmelite Friary. Now, the Carmelite Friary was founded in 1307 and most of the existing buildings date back to the 15th uh, century and someone decided to go in with a can of black spray paint and just spray all over. I don't know how much of the actual uh, friary they I've got a couple of photographs and you can see just a black can of spray paint nothing better to do so let's have a go at uh, defacing what is a wonderful old old uh, building but the Gardaí point out that damaging a national monument like this abbey in Casa Lines it actually carries a very heavy fine you can get a prison sentence for it, for it. The vandalism has a deep and lasting impact on the whole community and the Gardaí in Rathcormac would appreciate any information that the public uh, might have. It's shocking uh, to see it and hopefully the um, that national monument, the old Carmelite Friary, they'll be able to clean off that spray paint. But just mindless, mindless uh, vandalism. That kind of stuff just has to uh, stop. Now, on the ducks, we're looking for the mallard wall flying ducks. Uh, a listener said her mum had a set of them, great sentimental value, and she'd love to buy a set. And I was wondering, does any have any for sale? Now, we haven't found any for sale locally. Bill from Florida uh, was uh, on. Good to have you listening to us, uh, Bill. And he, he's found them on eBay in the States for $20 which is really cheap a bill because when I went on eBay uh, I found them on somebody was selling them in England and they were closer to £100 they were looking for them so certainly they're much cheaper if you can get, on, get them on eBay in the States but I think yeah I agree uh, Bill I think our listeners best port of call to find something like that is to go to eBay and find somebody who's willing to sell them on uh, second hand but of course when I mentioned these flying ducks I was thinking about Hilda Ogden's house in Coronation Street but somebody said they were actually painted on the wall. They weren't the actual ceramic ones that this listener is uh, looking for. Uh, but Joan in Formoy, very fond memories of Hilda Ogden with the curlers in her hair and the ducks on her wall. As somebody in the city said, it was her mural. They were on her mural. Uh, Joan says, I remember it along with her husband, uh, Stan. But Joan says, they were the good old days of Coronation Street. She said, anyone who continues to watch Coronation Street now, the storylines are quite uh, shocking. But she said, back in the days when you 
had Hilda Ogden, they were, the programme was much more natural and it showed the everyday lives and it reflected the everyday lives of people who were watching the programme at the time. And I have to say, I used to be a big fan. I don't watch any of the soaps now and I don't know what, what it is or why it was that I stopped watching them because certainly I, I don't follow, and I used to follow all of the soaps. But it's interesting the point, point that Joan Infermoy is making because... A current actor in Coronation Street, uh, the wonderful Maureen Lipman, she says that the soap opera needs to stop trying to shock people and she would be agreeing with Joan. She feels it needs to get back to its northern roots and she reckons by doing that it will win back uh, viewers. Now Maureen, uh, who plays the battle axe Evelyn Plummer in Coronation Street, says she can understand why ITV writers include sensational plots about killers, domestic abuse and uh, drug addiction and overall soap audience figures are actually down. They're down 42% since 2014 so a lot of people have turned off the uh, soap uh, operas. But Maureen believes that Coronation Street must reconnect with its past and show normal people living normal lives because that's what it was all about. I mean, those characters like uh, Jack and Vera Duckworth, uh, Hilda Ogden and her husband Stan, uh, Bet Lynch behind the bar. And remember Betty used to, Betty Driver, who used to make the hot pots. We were just watching people live very normal uh, lives. But she says, we've got to the point in Coronation Street, where people are getting murdered in the knicker factory. We have domestic abuse, anything to tick the box of 21st century social problems. And she said the one thing about Coronation Street was it was never political, but she said you could have women sitting in the snug in the in the bar and they they could be today saying oh look at Donald Trump, isn't his hair shocking? And she, she said people talk, talk like that today and she said we recognise it as true. Because she said if you look back at classic Coronation Street Street. Some of them were absolutely wonderful. But obviously the scriptwriters, and she understands why the scriptwriters have moved with the times. They're trying to reflect, unfortunately, the social problems we have in the 21st century. But when you sit down to watch a soap opera, is it a bit of escapism you want? You don't want so much of what is happening with our social problems actually in your face. So we'd be better off going back to a basics. And I'm wondering, is that one of the reasons that some people have decided to switch off and not watch soap operas like Coronation Street anymore. 0818 103 103. And I was expecting to get a slew of calls and I am getting a slew of texts in about this and this is to do an announcement of funding from the Irish government yesterday. Uh, Willie is in West Cork. He says on the money that the Irish government are giving to uh, cross-border projects, uh, particularly the ones for the road upgrades. Uh, Willie is living in West Cork. He said the railway line closed 60 years ago in West Cork and we were promised that the roads would be upgraded but nothing is hap- happening. We need to start fighting for our roads. Politicians seem to love giving mo- money to other causes and other countries and they seem to forget about their own. Someone else says, Patricia, what is wrong with this government? We can't get recovery money to the Middleton flood victims that we're going to be speaking about in just a moment. But we can send millions upon millions to Northern Ireland for roads and for a football pitch. In effect, are we not supporting the British economy before our own? We need a government who minds the people who live here, who pay tax here and who have built up this uh, country. And Tom is of the same vein saying, is this country so awash with cash that we're able to hand it out to other countries? Yet we have the HS. See uh, um, children on a waiting list 
for the dental department of the HSE and it's like third world standards. We've got flooding of which we're going to feature uh, this morning and yet they seem to have money to give away and of course what they're talking about is the money that was announced yesterday and part of the funding is going to rebuild what is one, what is seen as one of the most dangerous roads on the island of uh, Ireland and that's going to take the lion's share of the 800 million euro. This is the government funding package for cross-border projects that was unveiled uh, yesterday and it's the long-awaited A5 upgrade and it's between Derry and Ochnacloyne in County Tyrone. It was approved by the Stormont Executive 17 years ago. Uh, it is to receive £600 million from the Shared Ireland Initiative and it comes in the wake of the high-profile campaign by families because so many uh, people have died on that treacherous stretch of road. There's been 50 fatalities on that road since 2006 and uh, 10 died in one year alone. So that's where the bulk of the money from the Irish government is going towards that uh, that particular road project. But they're also in the 800 million is 50 million, which was committed by the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar to the redevelopment of Casey Park GAA Stadium. That's in West Belfast. Now, that's obviously in the wake of it being chosen as a venue for the Euro 2028. So they have to get that up and built by 2028 for the football uh, tournament. While further funding was guaranteed for something called the Narrow Water Bridge project, it links uh, the county downtown of Warren Point with the county Louth village of Omeath in what would be a significant tourism boost for the wider region. There's also plans for a new hourly hourly rail service that would between Belfast and Dublin was confirmed. 12.5 million euro of an investment is going into that and that's a move that's going to replace the existing staggered service that has run for decades between the two cities. So Leo Varadkar was announcing the package uh, yesterday, the cross-border initiative and he um, he singled out the recent restoration of the Stormont power sharing as a development that's brought renewed uh, hope and that's the reason that they're handing over this money. Now, not, ever, not everyone is happy with it. While obviously the majority of the Stormont parties broadly welcomed the funding and I imagine people in Northern Ireland very much welcomed uh, the funding, particularly the, the road, the A5 uh, commitment. Uh, political tensions quickly resurfaced over the Casement Park project and it was the DUP leader, Geoffrey Donaldson, says it was not the job or the responsibility of the Republic's government to provide financial support for the provision of public services and general Northern Ireland infrastructure. He said this is a matter for the UK uh, government. I think a lot of people in Ireland, particularly the people that are complaining, saying that money could have been spent down south, uh, would would agree with him and say, well, if you don't want the money, we'll take it back. Uh, now, obviously, the other politicians are very, very much welcoming of it. But the Casement Park project, I mean, there's, uh, there's a bigger issue around that. OK, the Irish government are saying they'll give 50 million towards Uh, the cost of it. But the estimated cost to rebuild Casement Park has now gone to £220 million. The original estimate was £77 million. But of course we know cost of building has gone through the uh, roof. So the Northern Ireland Secretary, Chris Heaton-Harris, he's been questioned on whether the UK government will meet the shortfall because obviously Stormont and the GAA would in no way be able to cover the cost of that bill. Now, Mr Heaton-Harris wouldn't be drawn on projected costs. Are London's future funding of this new 
34,000 capacity Belfast Stadium, despite insisting last year that the money would be found to ensure casement would be ready in time to host the Euro matches. But he said what he said last year, he wasn't going to be drawn and he didn't uh, confirm it. So of the £220 million, the Irish government are giving €50 million Euro, uh, towards it. Will London uh, str- uh, come up with the rest? Only time will tell. Uh, anyway, as I say, some people listening to that with jaws dropping that the Irish government is in a position to give €800 million Euro in government funding for cross-border projects and people saying, could the money be spelt elsewhere? 0818 103 103. Your thoughts welcomed. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. A first fixed carpenter is wanted. This is for work in the Clonakilty area. CVs please to Tim at HamiltonFrench.com Dano Supervalue in Mallow. They're looking for a full-time sales assistant. It's for their butchery department. You can apply online or you can hand your CV into the customer service desk in uh, store. Caretakers wanted for CE schemes at GAA clubs in Milford, Dromina, Churchtown and Fremont. Email Evelyn O'Keefe at dealvalley.ie. And Insulux are looking for experienced working foreman for retrofit projects in Cork City and in West Cork. CVs to jobs at insulex.ie. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Now, as we reported yesterday, a delegation of representatives from the Middleton and East Cork Flood Protection Group travelled to Leinster House in Dublin calling for an urgent implementation of interim flood protection measures for the area to see how they got on. I'm joined by uh, Mona Stromso, who was part of the delegation. Good morning to you, Mona. Good morning, Patricia. And, and you're welcome. And you're, you're, of course, chair of, of the uh, Flood Protection Group. Now, you brought quite a hefty petition uh, with you. Uh, that really shows, doesn't it, how concerned local people are about possible future floods. It sure does, Patricia, yeah. Um, I mean, nothing has changed since October um, October 18th and the last disastrous flood. In fact, nothing has changed since 2015. And uh, people are still in the same position as they were then, trying to put their homes back together and afraid of future flooding. Um, so every time it rains, there's a fear that it's going to flood again. And really, there, there needs to be a fundamental change, as well as dealing with the actuality of the flood, all the other issues that surround it, uh, including yeah. the humanitarian aid fund and the insurance. Yeah, and very hard, Mona, to try to put your house back together with that constant worry in the back of your mind. Why am I doing all this work? Because if we get another flood, I could be back to square one. Correct. Um, Like this could happen again next week or the week after. And when people are paying out money to fix their homes, paying out their savings, and then there's no protection that this won't happen again. But they have no choice but to do this. Some people are still living on practical building sites. God, it's uh, it's, no, it's it's shocking. No so, who 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 did you meet with yesterday, and what sort of a hearing did you feel you got? Well, we we met with uh, so some of our local TVs showed up: um, James O'Connor, Pat Buckley, David Stanton, and also a couple of others: uh, Matty McGrath, Michael Healy, Ray Donnick O'Leary. 
Padra Tobin facilitated the meeting on our behalf, which was great. And we had seven of the group that were speaking and presenting their, their stories. And those people, Patricia, were impacted by the flood and are still trying to recover from that. One woman told her story where she had to carry her children on her back through wastewater, waist deep in, in water to bring them out of their home. They listened to us. Um, we had a presentation for them. They were really surprised at the issues that are still going on and that these people are living through, um, which is amazing. We we would have thought they'd be up to date on all of that. They didn't. They weren't aware of the issues with the humanitarian aid fund. Yeah, explain what are issues. what are the issues? I know we've we've spoken with some uh, families since Storm Babette. Just explain what are the the issues? Because after Storm Babette, we were hearing from the government. Government ministers uh, came to the area, and, and you know we were promised that help was going to be available. This wonderful humanitarian aid was going to be put in place, but it's the red tape, isn't it? That's attached to that fund. Huge red tape and people aren't getting the payouts that we were expecting. So, you know, in the midst of an emergency, they have to fill in a document that's nine pages long. They have to provide two builders estimates, bank statements, payslips, photographs, videos to prove that their house was flooded. I mean, surely all you should need to give is your postcode. Yeah, um, and then after that, there it, it's paid out in three different tranches. The first one is an emergency fund for food and clothes. So that covers anyone who was impacted in a small or large way, um, which is badly needed. So they give a small payout for that, um, about a thousand euros. The second payment goes towards furniture and white goods. And that varies depending up to 6,000 euros, depending on the home. Um, but try and refurnish your, your kitchen and your downstairs rooms, because most of these houses were flooded up to five and six feet of water water and sewerage actually so everything has to go try and, and refurnish your home on on six thousand euros not a hope the next not a hope the next part then is um the structural damage so any fixtures and fittings your kitchen your walls your your floors all that kind of thing so that's that's the really difficult one where they have to provide the estimates and just imagine when you're when you're going through this and the day after you have to fill in these forms and get these estimates. So it was really hard to get the estimates um, because builders were so busy. And then they send an assessor, which again, you know, they probably have to confirm the estimates. Well, we were, the implication was that they would be looking at the estimates, the assessor would confirm the, the quotes that were given, but that's not actually what happened. Um, so for example, in one case, couple got an estimate of 60,000 euros. They, the assessor came to view the house, didn't look at the estimates, so we're not quite sure what they based the compensation on. They were offered 33,000 euros um, out of the 60, and that would be paid out once they had the work completed and receipts provided, and the assessor would call again to confirm. And they were expected to come up with the other half of the money themselves as well, and all up front. Were, yes, but all up front. So really, are you going to get anyone who's going to do that work without payment? No. So in that situation, you're looking for 60 grand to get the work done and then you get 33 back afterwards. So they did agree with the community welfare officers that they would get interim payments. Uh, but again, to get the balance of the payment, 
difficult. It's proven difficult. It's proven difficult. And yeah. then for the for the lucky, if you can use the word lucky in inverted commas, uh, people who had flood insurance, uh, I'm assuming a lot of that has been paid out, but they'll never get flood insurance again. They'll never get flood insurance again. And actually, Patricia, a lot of it hasn't been paid out. Um, people are still waiting on confirmation of offers from insurance companies. It's gone on for a lot longer than it should have. Um, in the last couple of weeks, many people have now received confirmation from the insurance companies. Some didn't have flood, full flood insurance uh, because of the areas that they lived in, but they were afraid to negotiate upwards with the insurance company in case they'd withdraw fully. Uh, so they, but they are in probably in a better position than the people that are depending on the humanitarian. Yeah, income. and 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 However, I know I won't get. Sorry, they won't get the they full amount get insurance again. Uh, yeah, and they, and they won't get the full. It's, and it's very hard to get the full amount as well to cover the cost of it, of everything. And I've yes. spoken with some of the families, uh, Mona, from the area that has been affected, and it's particularly heartbreaking uh, to hear of how upset some children have become and the anxiety that it is creating in families. There, there, there is a mental health issue here of people living under this type of stress and strain. A huge mental health issue. Patricia and um, you know the kids need counselling and support they are even when they see the the rivers rising even small children understand what happened and you can imagine if you're carried out of your home by your parent in the flood then every time you see a river or the sea even these kids are are absolutely terrified so there as yet isn't uh, any support any counselling or mental health support provided for the children by the HSE we are asking for that at the moment. We're in the process of, of chasing that up and see if we can get more funding towards that. And the adults as well are suffering PTSD. Um, yeah, it was just yeah, horrible. Watching just, the rivers every time. It yeah, rains. it was it was really yeah. bad. And then yesterday I mentioned that the repair bill will cost Cork County Council fifty five million. This is the repairs to roads and uh, bridges to, just to repair them. Yeah. And they're saying it'll take up to, up up to two years because of the damage that was caused. I mean, this problem needs to be tackled head on to prevent future flood uh, events. We can't just start handing over all this money just for repair work. We need to tackle the issue. And I know there has been talks for, oh God knows how, I think it was 2012, did I, did I read, that there was plans in place for flood defences just uh, for Middleton, but that hasn't materialised. What do you want done in the interim or what could be done in, in, in the... It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves... Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss short term to try to offset some of these flood events? 
but there there are a lot of interim measures that could be done and there are a lot of interim measures that could have been done since 2015 and before that would have mitigated the costs of the repairs for this um so you know there's bridges that collapse there's there is one bridge in middleton that actually has a section 50 on order on it going back to i think it was 2010 that was just in relation to a planning uh, where they were building a different bridge and they were supposed to knock the first bridge. They never knocked the first bridge and it looks like that impacts the flooding um, that happens in the town. There are embankments and tributaries that need reinforcement um, along the Onakura River. In uh, similar in Castle Martyr and Mobili, they, the people of Castle Martyr and Mobili fully understand why their flooding happened and they have walked the rivers with representatives from the council and from the government um, and and showed those but nothing has been done about it yet um, yeah nobody seems to be listening to the people on the ground who know no. what the actual problems are and know yeah. what they're not engineers but they know what some of the solutions could be while we wait for the long-term defense systems which let's be honest Mona are going to take years to put in place years well the the main flood defense system is is for middleton um and that is we're told that's going to take between nine and ten years but patricia we've been given dates before and they haven't come off so we don't even trust that that will happen but we can't wait that long we need it on now and we do have engineers in our group that we understand the rivers as well obviously their suggestions would have to be reviewed and we understand that but you can't just assess everything and wait until the assessments are completed in, in however many years' time. There are actions that can be taken now, one step at a time, and they can be completed, some of them in, in the next six months, others in the next quarter, and others in the final quarter of the year. Um, and they are realistic measures that can be done that would hugely mitigate any further flooding. And it isn't and just it, really it isn't just Middleton. There's you know a lot of the no. small villages were 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 affected. And I know at the time there was a huge amount of focus, obviously, on the main street in Middleton because they were absolutely uh, devastated. But I did feel for some of the people living in the smaller villages, it was almost they were almost put onto the back burner because so much focus went on Middleton. Hugely, um, you know, there's Mugili, Castle Martyr, Killa, Carrickool. Um, well, uh, White Gate, there's actually loads of areas that have been impacted by this. And again, you know, water up to five and six feet in their houses, water and wastewater and slurry in, in oh, some cases. It's just dreadful. Uh, it's, it's just dreadful. So, so d- and you got there's a lot of publicity um, well done to you in, in the papers today uh, on this one. Are you hopeful that some good will come from that delegation yesterday? Well, they did listen and okay. we are hoping that they'll come back to us. And um, Patrick Tobin made a suggestion of a task force within the Dáil to have representatives from the different departments that we need to get in front of who weren't there yesterday. So Department of Social Welfare, Department of OPW and various other agencies that we would need to speak to. Uh, just so they understand, because they don't seem to realise that this is still going on and the situation that people are living in. As you said, the focus is always on the main street in Middleton, which was horrifically damaged as well. And the businesses, some of them will never reopen. But people are unaware of the damage to the homeowners. 
and that they're still living in this situation. Yeah, and these are people... are still living upstairs in their homes. Yeah, these these are people's homes. They need to feel safe when they close that door. Okay, Mona, we'll stay in contact with you on this one. But listen, well done to everybody who took part in that delegation and all of the people that signed that uh, petition. But thank you for joining us on the programme this morning. Thanks, Patricia. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Mona Stromso, who is the chairperson of the Middleton and East Cork Flood Protection Group, who... um, just to try to get their story out, had to go to Dublin all the way to Leinster House. February is Global Congenital Heart Disease, CHD for short. For short. It's their Awareness Month and the charity Heart Children is hoping to raise awareness of the disease and to support young people and their families who live with CHD. Joining me is Sheila Campbell, who is CEO of Heart Children. Good morning to Sheila. Good morning, Patricia. And you're, you're very welcome. I suppose, can you start by outlining what is congenital heart disease? Yeah, so congenital heart disease is a condition that develops as a baby is growing in the mother's womb. And what happens is that the heart doesn't form correctly. So the structure of the heart doesn't form correctly. Um, and when the baby is born, it can mean, you know, something relatively simple, um, like a hole in the heart that can be fixed with one surgery and the child may never look back. Or it can mean that there's very complex conditions such as only half the heart working. Um, the heart can be turned backwards and it can be on the other side of the body. Um, and there can be issues with valves and, and the way the heart uh, pumps blood around the body. So um, it's, an, it's, it's the most common birth defect worldwide. So one in every 100 children born has congenital what? heart disease. Um, that's so that's a, ahead that's of cleft palate or Down syndrome yeah, or anything. Um, that's a huge. That's a that's a huge number. And and because obviously we've got you know so much better when it comes to scans. Is it always picked up during pregnancy? No, not always. But seventy percent of the babies are picked up at the twenty week scan. Um, but the heart can be so tiny in the baby that sometimes it's just not possible to see uh, using the scanning technology. Um, so there are cases where they don't pick up anything in the scan, but yet the baby may be born with congenital heart disease. They do say that, you know, that obviously they are restricted um, by you know where the baby is lying in the womb when they're doing the scanning and that kind of thing. But generally, you know, the the scanning um, facilities are very good and 70% of those um, of babies are picked up at that stage Um, and what that means is obviously the family have time to prepare the mother and father can you know not have the immediate shock of finding out they have a child at birth with a problem and also the medical team can prepare for the child's birth um, and what's needed afterwards. Do we know what causes it? No. Uh, so in 85 to 90 percent of cases, we have no idea, uh, no identifiable cause, I would say no idea, no identifiable cause of why it's happening. And what they call it is a multifactorial inheritance, which means that there are many factors involved which can uh, combine like genetic factors and um, environmental factors. But in, you know, in, in the the, the the 10 or 15 percent of the other cases it can be linked to um if there is a family history of chd so if you have a first degree relative with a chd you can be three times at three times increased risk of of having chd um or, or giving birth to a baby with chd um so that's an important thing possibly for people to know if there if it is in the family that it's 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 something just to bear in mind um when planning a family that there is that, that they are in, at increased risk Okay, somebody remembers um, when she was a child, her mother telling her that she had a heart murmur. Would that fall in under this? 
Yeah, heart murmur is usually the first indication. Um, you'll hear lots of families talking about when their baby was unwell, you know, maybe having pneumonia or other respiratory conditions um, and taking their children to the hospital. And then, you know, the, the, the way they tell it is they detected a murmur. And a murmur usually is what would be... Um, a trigger for your GP or, you know, a general hospital to send you forward for an echo to see what is the problem. Um, I'm not saying in all cases that a murmur leads to, you know, having congenital heart disease, but, you know, it's an indicator that there is some problem going on in the heart. And are there many young people living with congenital heart disease in Ireland today? There are. There are 19,000 people in the country living with congenital heart disease. Um, as I mentioned, like some of the some of the um, more simpler forms of CHD, if that's the way to put it. Um, you know, they, these children might have had a hole in the heart when they're born. They might have had surgery and they may never have looked back. They might have thought that's it and they might not even need to, you know, regularly see um, a doctor. But for the other, uh, the, the 20% of the population have what we call complex CHD. Um, and the thing for maybe to note is that congenital heart defects refer to about 40 different problems in what? the heart. <laughs> so it's kind of an umbrella term. It's not one term. It doesn't mean one thing. And some of the children can be born with three, four and five of the conditions together. So in their cases, it's going to be a lifetime of um, open heart surgeries um, interventions. You know, they really have serious heart problems um, and they have attendant problems with that as well. You know, it can lead to, you know, neurodiversity issues as well as they grow up. So there's a lot of complex problems that go with just the fact that you have CHD. And notwithstanding then, you know, if you're well at any point, uh, constant fatigue, maybe lack of concentration, um, you know, you are you are at um, you know you you are at that disadvantage, and also then the mental issues that go with it, the anxiety, and you know the post traumatic stress disorder from having multiple interventions as a child, and maybe long in hospital stays as well. Yeah, I mean the very thought of open heart surgery is a kind of a scary notion, let alone open heart surgery happening on on a small child. So your charity, Heart Children, I know you were founded back in in 1999. What service do you provide, and what role do you play for families? Well, Heart Children really like try, tries to provide holistic support to families once they've come out of hospital. We have fantastic facilities in um, in the Children's Heart Centre in Crumlin, which is now in you know a dedicated uh, paediatric cardiology centre for the last ten years. Um, and indeed, we have uh, the paediatricians with um, expertise in cardiology now in Cork and CUH and Limerick and Galway, who are sort of outreach um, and and doing the appointments for people who are living in those areas, so they don't have to come to Crumlin all the time. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think what we try to do in hard children is when they're discharged um, and when they need that support. So many parents would talk about, you know, being offered psychological support while they're in hospital with their child. But their main focus is their child and making sure that their child recovers. And so in many cases, they're not in the space to actually get psychological support at that point in time. And it's often when they've come home and everything has kind of leveled off that they kind of fall apart. You know, that's mm. when they kind of think, oh, my God, what have I been through? Um, and so that's what we offer to parents. We, we provide psychological support. We have the services of a clinical psychologist um, and we're able to do that countrywide. Post-COVID, we do it all online or through Zoom with people, um, which is, you know, has proved to be just as effective as in person. 
Uh, we offer play therapy services to uh, children with CHD and their siblings because the, the important thing to mention is, you know, when there's somebody with CHD in, in the family, it affects the whole family unit. It changes the dynamic altogether. Um, and so for the siblings whose, whose mum and dad are gone for long stretches or whose focus is always on the child who has the illness, they too can, um, you know, have the impact of the anxiety and stress that comes with an illness. So we're providing play therapy services all around the country um, using independent play therapists to provide that um, for people with CHD as much as siblings also, actually, as it's proving, um, you know, equally um, as needy for them as well as it is for the child with CHD. We also provide financial support to families when their child is long stay in hospital. As you know, there's no there's no government supports for people who, you know, who need to be um, in hospital with a child who's who's very, very ill. Um, so we, we give small grants to families to help them and well support done. them during that time. Well and also um, at the end of the day, when families need, if there's no other option available surgically, um, children will be put on the heart transplant list and all of those operations take place in the UK. So we um, have a fund which specifically provides support for families travelling to the UK. Um, they will get the travel abroad scream uh, cover, but you know sometimes, again, they might have to wait quite a while in the UK for heart surgeries. If they have children at home, they need to travel backwards and forwards. You know yourself, it can be an expensive process uh, when you're just not living at home. Yeah. So yeah. we provide direct financial support. Um, and we also try to normalise things for families as well by doing social events throughout the year. So um, yeah, hard know, children Christmas parties it, and, and you know, know social events. I know you've got a big uh, conference coming up. I think it's this Saturday, isn't it? It is. It is. Yes, this Saturday. And that's for, and who's that aimed? Who yeah. are you aiming it at? Well, an, an important milestone in the life of, of a young person with CHD is when they leave Crumlin. Um, so services through Crumlin end typically at the age of 16. It can be 17 or 18, depending if the child is, you know, waiting on um, a procedure. But then they would make the change to um, receiving their treatment, their medical treatment through the adult CHD unit in the Matter Hospital, which is now a major general, you know, they're moving from the protective bubble of a children's hospital where they'll have known everybody for the last 16 years who will have known their name at every appointment and they're heading into the kind of great unwashed of a, of a general hospital um, and in with all the cardiac services so all the people with you know coronary heart disease um, and they're just one little cohort uh, amongst you know all cardiac services so it's a big step up they now have to take um, control of their own medical care so they're now at the age when they attend appointments on their own what questions do you ask? What information do you need to know? What symptoms do you need to look out for in your own health? You know, what should you not be doing, you know, in terms of your socialising aspect of life? Uh, how should you manage your stress? Lots of different factors that kind of impact on people at that time. Um, so we really want to kind of mind them and support them in their sort of mental health and give them the confidence and resilience to step into that space um, and also uh, to work with the parents and to give them the confidence to allow the child to do that so how the, to step back. It's a big, yeah. big move for the parents as well okay and people can yeah, re exactly. register for that conference on heartchildren.ie Yeah, yeah it's, it's free to attend free. and they can, um, anybody who's out there who would like to come along is more than like you know who's in that 16 to 22 space and their parents is welcome more than to welcome attend. to come along OK, OK, listen, uh, keep keep doing fantastic work that you do at Heart Children, uh, Sheila. And thank you for joining us on the programme today and raising awareness of it all. OK, thanks, Patricia. Good morning bye -bye. to you. Bye-bye. Sheila Campbell, CEO of Heart Children. It's time to give away more free money. Free money. Snap the app only on C103. Give me more. 
Did you snap the app in the last 15 minutes? If you did, you would have might have got a phone call. Let's go to the phone lines where Sinead Crowley in McCroom joins me. Good afternoon to you, Sinead. Hi. Uh, you've downloaded the C103 app? Yes, sir. And you snapped the app and sent it in to us and I can tell you that you are today's qualifier. That's super, super. Okay, so what happens now is you go forward to a draw with Martina this afternoon. So keep the phone on because if you get a phone call, because yesterday's qualifier on the programme, Heather actually got the call and she won uh, 500 euros. So what's what's, what's happening in McCroom today? Um, When I'm actually at work, so I'm sneaking out there now. Oh, are you okay? So are you allowed to say where you are at work or is it all... Hush, hush. Um, maybe hush, hush. Oh, maybe hush, hush. Okay. I'll tell you what, we'll let you get back into work. We don't want you losing your job. Listen, okay. and good, good luck later on, okay? Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, bye-bye. Sinead Crowley in McCroom. Proving you can play even if you're at work. Snap the app. You need to download the C103 app to your phone. And at the appointed time, and the appointed time only, please, we will tell you to send in a screenshot of the app to prove to us that you have downloaded the app and then you wait and you could be lucky like Sinead to get a call back and go forward to a draw. Martina every day then puts all the names into a hat and one listener gets a call back. That person wins €500 worth of free money. It's Snap the App. Download today. Listen to play. We're doing it all week long. €500 every day this week only on C103. Your chance to win. Okay, let's clear the WhatsApps uh, now please because we're looking for your gardening questions because Peter Dowdle uh, will be joining us in this hour on the programme. So if you've got a gardening question for Peter, can you please get them into us? Uh, 0818 Or if you want to text or WhatsApp, it comes straight into me here at the studio to 0862103103. Let's look at some of your commentary coming in. Still getting in very angry calls about the government's announcement yesterday of 800,000 or sorry, 800 million euro. And this is the government funding package that was announced yesterday for cross-border projects. And not everybody's happy with it. Uh, John says 800 million handed over to Northern Ireland and and people outside Dáil Éireann having to protest because of children with spina bifida waiting for surgeries as well as people getting their mastectomy allowances cut yesterday. That was announced yesterday. Something seriously wrong here. Actually, that's to do with the prosthetics. I, I only heard about that yesterday as well. We are hoping to do a follow-up on that uh, um, during the week. I'm just trying to get confirmation on it. It seems crazy that any woman that is facing having losing a breast or in some cases it can be a double mastectomy that when they go to get the prosthetics that they need in order to try to feel as normal as possible and the bras that they need that there's a cut in the funding it's not making any sense to me so we're, we're working on that in the background and, and uh, we hopefully will be dealing with it on the programme uh, this week Tom in Bantry says Michael McGrath the Minister for Finance he comes from Bantry and the roads around the Bantry area are in a shocking condition surely he should have some pride in the area where he comes from and look after the roads here first before looking to give money to the Northern Ireland executive to do up the roads up north. Someone else says, Patricia, there was a feature on a girl with spina bifida on uh, TV and it would bring tears to your eyes. The government will be better off spending that money, that 800 million euro, than sending it north. 
please give it to children who are neglected at the moment waiting for surgeries. And uh, David O'Leary says, well, didn't the DP leader, Geoffrey Donaldson, didn't he give his answer to the Irish uh, government by saying that the Irish government shouldn't be providing the funds for financial support for provision of public services in Northern Ireland? Uh, Geoffrey Donaldson said it should be the UK uh, government. So if that's his attitude, fine, we'll take the money back. Would we be better off looking after our own roads down here first? Mallow Relief Road, for example, springs to mind for uh, David. And someone else says it was wrong for the government to spend so much money on projects in Northern Ireland. This listener thinks that they uh, that they in the North have the best of uh, both worlds. Well, you know, in fairness to people in the North, they at least have some remnants of a functioning government again. And that's finally they have been without a, a government. But this is all part of cross-party um, cross party projects and cross-party agreements, I imagine, all contained in the Good Friday uh, agreement. But um, anyway, it certainly has upset people that the, the government have this amount of money Yet there seems to be cutbacks all over the place. I can understand why people are so angry about it. 0818 103 103. Mike in Bantry, this is on the flying ducks that our listener is looking for. Suggest to that listener, keep popping in and out of charity shops or let charity shops know that you're looking for these uh, ducks. Yeah, I did make that point that somebody might be doing a clear out of a house and they might have a set of the ducks that they would hand into a charity shop. And then on the debate then, because when we mentioned the flying ducks on the wall, I remember Hilda Ogden in Coronation Street having them and that led to people talking about Coronation Street and how it's changed over the years and they need to go back to their uh, roots and they don't need to be dealing with all of the social issues, the 21st century social problems that they're dealing with at the moment. Some people felt that, you know, if you're watching a soap opera, it should be a bit of escapism. Uh, that we shouldn't be seen, dealing with such serious topics. Hi, Patricia. I too have given up on uh, watching the soap operas, except for Ross and Ruin. Ross and Ruin is on TG Car. It's just great. It has lots of humour while still dealing with many serious issues. I just love it, said this li- listener. Long may it last. And Burr says, Burr is still a fan of Coronation Street. And says, hi, Trish. In Coronation Street at the moment, they're covering a brilliant storyline. It's the storyline concerning online bullying amongst teenagers, which of course does happen in reality. And also they did a course of control storyline and another time they did a piece on hate crime. Uh, a lot of families are, st- and also on families struggling with food poverty, which is very much the reality of today. Also Barbara says, you'll be delighted to hear, they still do bring in humour when uh, appropriate, but she thinks it's only right and proper that they are facing up to all of the 21st century uh, social problems and that's the reality for many people. Can I just say, seeing as Carnation Street has come up and talking about um, social problems, I don't know, have many people picked up on a programme that has been on Virgin Media for the last two nights, final part is tonight and it's on ITV as well. It is a new programme called Breathtaking. And it, what it is, it's the story of life in a London hospital during the worst public health crisis in recent memory. It is the early days of coronavirus and the early days of uh, COVID-19. And it 
is stunning. Now, it makes for difficult viewing. I, I have to say, I, I cried last night uh, watching it. Um, Joanne Froggett, who was in uh, Downton Abbey, loved her in Downton Abbey. She's kind of playing the lead part. She's magnificent in it. She's playing this uh, Dr. Abbey. She's a consultant in, in acute uh, medicine. And it's the very early days where they're starting to hear and they're getting warnings coming out of uh, Italy. And uh, they're starting to notice people coming in, you know, and you know, very quickly, a few people turns into a flood of people. But you're actually watching these doctors and nurses and patients in the early days of uh, COVID-19, you know, at a, at a time where people died and people weren't able to attend funerals. But what's really, really good about this, it's written by no less than three doctors. So it's doctors who were at the cold face, people who know exactly what was going on during uh, COVID times. Now, at times, it's a bit like watching uh, a car crash in slow motion, you know, because they're talking about things. They don't have enough COVID tests. They don't have enough ventilators. Um, There was very stupid rules put in place about PPE gear. And of course, there's all this guidance coming from Public Health uh, England, because obviously this is set, it's the NHS in England but but you know that the public health advice is the wrong advice and you're watching it you know it's like watching the movie of the Titanic you know it's going to sink and you know the things that are going to go wrong so that there's that kind of uh, a feeling about it as you, as you watch it but they're very clever in the way they do it while it is you know it's a, it's a drama but they also put in scenes of the you know, clips of Boris Johnson on the TV and and Matt Hancock and, uh, you know, Dominic Cummins and the updates that they're giving on the pandemic. And, you know, the famous one where Boris Johnson wasn't afraid of COVID-19. I was in shaking hands with people with COVID-19 and you just know he's giving the wrong information because not enough information was known at that time. So it really is. It's it's absolutely excellent. And you're watching uh, some of the staff themselves who succumbed to uh, COVID and unfortunately uh, didn't make it. It's, it is just absolutely inc- incredible. And I think for family members who lost loved ones during COVID and particularly family members, you know, who worried that their loved ones died alone, there's there's a wonderful, there's wonderful flashes of humanity that you like to think happened in all of our hospitals and all of our nursing homes here. You know, for example, there's one elderly patient and he's dying from uh, COVID-19 and he had been a violinist and he'd spoken about he'd met his wife. They were both in an orchestra together and he was dying alone in this hospital. And one of the doctors uh, came in and played the violin to him and it was just such uh, an amazing uh, scene and you saw you know other there was a there was a, a member of staff who passed away and her husband couldn't come in to be with her and you know the other members of staff I mean with her it was just it was incredible I'm, I'm tearing up now even thinking about some of the scenes last night and the final episode is on tonight as I say it is on Verge it's on Virgin Media I'm watching it but it's also on ITV if you haven't seen it you'll be able to get it on the Virgin Media player as well but it's it's a tough watch but it's kind of one of those watches I think that every everybody needs to see this was the reality at what happened particularly to the medical staff and it is called breathtaking and it literally is breathtaking 0818 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council making Cork County the place to live work, visit and invest in see corkcoco.ie Donnerell Golf Club they are hosting Siobhan McInerney and Geraldine McCarthy it's for a spring flower arranging demonstration and it is on 
tonight. Half seven start. Admission is 10 euro and all are uh, welcome. Newmarket Girls School, they're enrolling new pupils for next September. To express your interest, you can request a form by emailing office at newmarketgns.ie or you can call the school 029 60723 uh, during the mornings. A trip down memory lane with music by Percy French and lots more will be held in the Candy Theatre in the North Mon on Thursday night and in Rathgormick Community Hall on Friday. All are welcome. And the Mallow Daffodil Day Committee will hold a fundraising coffee morning. It's in aid of the Irish Cancer Society. It's happening on this Friday between 10am and 12 noon. It's in Hurley's Centre on Main Street. You're invited to go along to enjoy coffee scones, chat and uh, entertainment and you're invited to celebrate International Women's Day that's on Friday the 8th of March with a special lunch in aid of the Greater Chernobyl cause it'll be in the Kingsley Hotel at 1 o'clock on Friday the 8th music with Fiona Kennedy along with a gala auction and a raffle tickets are 60 euro and they are limited so if you'd like to go along please book your tickets by contacting Fiona on 087 9536133 Court today on C103. With McCarthy Insurance Group, proud sponsors of the Cork GAA Club Football Leagues and Championships. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at C103.ie. Can you talk to me? today on C103. And keep your gardening comments uh, coming in. John Paul and Stephen are taking calls at 0818103103 and you can also get them in by text or WhatsApp 0862103103. Let me go to Kinsale where Jennifer uh, joins me with a bit of an issue that she has with unpost. Good afternoon, Jennifer. Good afternoon, Patricia. Now, lovely to talk to you. And lovely to talk to you. You have a problem in particular, this is with parcels being delivered, is it? Correct. Okay. I have I have a lock system on my gate because I live on my own. Okay. So it, and I they have the on post have the the code. Now most of the time it works perfectly, no problem at all. This this is the second time, and this was a package I got from Onnit, and there was some conditioner in it. So when I she threw it over the gate, no knock, no you know nothing, and when you get in by the front door, I have a box, a plastic box where they put the passes in if it's raining so there was just it was just thrown over the gate and I went out and obviously the package when it hit the ground the container with the conditioner had burst now hang on were, was, were, were you definitely at home when, when it was delivered oh I was I'm sure. okay. so there was I, I, there was I, no I, ring I, at the doorbell or anything oh no but they couldn't get in you see oh, right, if okay. she got in she would have put it out at the doorstep or in the box Okay, and but normally this... they're very good they, they leave a paper hanging out of the letterbox to let me know that there's a parcel in. Yeah, but there okay. was nothing. This was just... Ch- this is the second time. The first time I went up and I told them, and she said, oh, um, that, that they have um, temporary staff and they don't have the code. But they should give them the code going out. Anyway. Yeah, there can't be not- that many houses that have a code. No. Because yeah. yeah. I live on an estate, right? Yeah. And so they, they just come in. But this time, it, and it was pouring down with rain, I was so infuriated. I thought, I'm going up. And I went up and I said to her, you know, I said, this, this can't go on. I said, who's doing it? Oh, she said the person was ill and um, the permanent staff were ill. Okay, and, and they, they, were, got, they got somebody else. Okay, but, but yeah. tell me about, was the conditioner, did you lose it all? 
Was it all? Well, well most of it. It most went all it. over the box. Did, okay. And you see, they're chucking it over the fence. They don't know what's in it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No. Did you get on to Arnott's? But this is what they told me when I went up to the point. This is what infuriated, to add insult to injury. She said, I said, well, what's going to happen here now? I said, you know, how am I going to be compensated for my stuff? She said, ring on it and they'll, they'll replace it. I said, why should Arnott's replace it? They've done nothing wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm paying on it €5.50 postage and packing. No problem. And, uh, you know, I paid for it to be delivered. I said, I didn't pay for it to be chucked over the fence. Now, we do have a lot of problem here with couriers that, you know, they throw it in. If he, he, one in particular, I'm not mentioning any name. Yeah. If, he, if, if he can't get in, he's chucking in anyone's garden. And mm. people look out for that. But you don't expect that from one Yeah, and, and, and you'll see couriers, um, it infuriates me if a courier uh, comes to my house and they'll just leave it on the front step. Now, luckily, I live in a, a very safe area, but I'm, I'm, I'm fearful one day I'll go and the parcel will be taken. Be and, and we know that they have been taken in, in other areas. But, but they yeah, will be. But it's, yeah, but throwing a parcel over the walls, you see, you don't know. It could be bone china. Is inside in the package. You've no, you've no way of no knowing. No idea. Okay. So, anyway, what, what, so they what, what, won't the give you. I'm post won't give you any compensation. Is what you were no, saying. And the you only, feel, re, the only regret they gave me was to ring on it and tell them. She said, "Oh, Honest will replace that." I said, "Why should Honest replace yeah, it? Yeah, it's not they their fault. They didn't damage it. You did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And we, I said to her before I go. I said to her, oh, "Listen, I'm sorry. You will be sorry." I said because I'm going to get onto Patricia Messenger and the. <laughs> On County Sound, I said, "You, I give you plenty publicity, I said, and out the door I went. Anyway, thank you so much All right, for taking up my dilemma. Well, you know, I, I, I listened to you in the morning and I thought, Patricia Messenger is the voice of the unheard. Oh, you're very kind. Well, no, we'll get, nobody hears us. We're getting, we're getting on, Tom Post, because you're probably not the only one. I'd be interested to hear, has it happened to, uh, to, uh, to anybody else? And should it be on Post? Because, you know, at the end of the day, they were the ones that damaged the package. You're exactly. right, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be iron. It's okay. We'll get back on to you as soon as we hear, Jennifer. Look after you're yourself. You're very kind. Thank you. And, and I'm, keep and, up the good work. Okay, and I'm sure your hair looks gorgeous with or without the conditioner. <laughs> At 83, I doubt it. I'm sure it does. God bless. Thank you so much. Mind God yourself. Bless. Bye-bye. Okay, so we're, we're on to our bust. Uh, it is on you. You do see couriers doing it. You do see, and I know couriers are extremely busy, but you do see couriers lobbing things in or just leaving them on doorsteps. That's my big one is when they are left on uh, doorsteps. Uh, hi, Patricia. It's uh, no wonder hospitals are extremely busy and overcrowded. There's a 20% increase on 1 million, million extra people living in this country in the last 20 years. Also, we've seen nursing homes close locally and everywhere. Emergency room hospitals have been downgraded in Cork and around the country. No wonder there's record overcrowding in our hospitals. Thank you. News is a West Cork uh, listener I don't know whether that's tied in with uh, a comment that we had uh, yesterday or uh, a piece that I read yesterday that really broke my heart that was on the papers of a young 16-year-old girl who died in University Hospital Limerick uh, and it was because of overcrowding at the A&E department. Well, there's an update on that story today in that University Hospital Limerick are conducting uh, an investigation. I'm sure they are, but the... Stephen Donnelly, the health minister, has said, has asked for it to be a thorough investigation and for it to be done uh, quickly. He went on to obviously express his sincere condolences to the girl's uh, family and the HSE have confirmed that they are reviewing the case and the family are fully uh, engaged. Uh, The University Hospital Limerick have launched an internal investigation after the death of the teenager 
um, at UHL. Now, it seems she had been admitted to hospital. She was in hospital for two weeks. Then she went home. Her condition got worse. She went back. She was placed on a a trolley. And then it seems she got moved uh, from one part of the hospital and and was put out, I think, into the uh, the A&E. And... um, she was she was transferred to a trolley in a corridor. That was it. She had been in the hospital's resuscitation area because she came in complaining of breathlessness. So they had her in resource first. Then she got transferred out onto the corridor. She then returned to the, to the resuscitation area after her condition quickly deteriorated. And despite frantic efforts to revive the girl, she failed to regain consciousness. And she, she died in front of her mother. It was just it was just a shocking case. And it happened. Her death occurred on the twenty ninth of January, which happened to be. One uh, UHL had was was the worst overcrowded hospital on that day. There was 113 people on trolleys, and actually on that particular day, Cork University Hospital was the second highest. They had 72 on trolleys, but it's it's a it's a shocking shocking case. Dermot in Inchigila says, with all the cuts to healthcare in this country, these making the decisions in our health uh, services, many of them probably have private health insurance, so they don't seem to understand the consequences of health care in this country. Politicians, families will never end up in a trolley for three or four days. Dermot uh, is lucky that he has private health insurance, but he said it's at the lower end of the scale. It's not at the higher end, so it doesn't automatically cover everything. And there will be a lot of people in the same boat as that. And then on flooding that we spoke about when we were catching up with Middleton and East uh, Cork, somebody has suggested those families shouldn't pay their property uh, tax. While Heidi says, Patricia, it's the rivers that need to be dredged. Also, all the drains need to be cleared. They need to be cleared out on a regular basis. It won't stop flooding, but it might help to stop some of the uh, damage. Uh, we really need to uh, to look at that. Look at yeah, and I I think that's what the people in Middleton and East Cork are saying. They know they need the flood defences, but they take years upon years with planning and the building and all the work that uh, goes on. And Middleton have been waiting already since uh, 2010. And here we are on uh, 2024. Hi, Patricia. Those poor flood victims could be any one of us into the future. But our government, who now, as of yesterday, subsidising the UK via Northern Ireland, is like that Flahulak parent who buys rounds for all and sundry in the pub while leaving the family at home in dire need. Uh, it is just not uh, good enough. 0818103103. And actually a number of people are, are agreeing with me. That programme that I'm talking about that's on Virgin Media, uh, Breathless, really good. It's hard watching, says one listener. Somebody said, really, really sad uh, watching it. And somebody said, uh, our breathtaking, as it's called, not breath, it's called breathtaking. It literally is breathtaking uh, to watch. I agree. 0818. 103103. Let's turn our attention to gardening, please. Peter Dowdell will uh, join us. If you have a question for Peter, get it in 0818 103 103. You can phone. The boys are taking calls, John Paul and Stephen, or you can text me, uh, WhatsApp me 0862 103 103. Cork today on C103. With McCarthy Insurance Group, proud sponsors of the Cork GAA Club Football Leagues and Championships. They don't just talk the talk, they want Walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Let's go to Peter Dowd of the Irish Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well, and lots of questions coming in. People very much getting out and about in the garden, even though there's a bit of a cold spell 
on the way. Now, I don't think they're talking about snow, but certainly not down here in the south. It's more up the west and the north. But temperatures are going to dip again over the next few days. So we're not out of the wood when it comes to frosty nights. We're not, and I, I hate when I, when I keep, I keep getting distracted by these uh, warnings popping up on my phone. You know, the, the, the headline grabbing snow is on Arctic chill on the way yeah. to Ireland. And then when I click into it, and it's actually no, it's more kind of wet and mild weather. But I think we're going to be safe enough down here, though they are going to dip, as you say, a bit, but hopefully nothing too severe that that, that shouldn't put a, too much of a, a spanner in the gardens for us. Okay, and thank you to this listener who got the photograph into us nice and early so we were able to get it on to Peter says hi uh, Peter I'm forwarding a picture of my plant I think it has got too big for the pot and it looks like a ceramic pot I've tried to get it out but failed I'm wondering will it survive in the pot or will I have to break and cut it out of the pot oh sorry it's a plastic pot because I had a similar one happened with me with a ceramic pot and I ended up having to break the ceramic pot to get it out but anyway uh, can, can it just be left it, uh, from what I can make out, it's Osmanthus, Osmanthus Burkwoodi, and it's a very healthy looking one. It's a lovely looking one. Um, no, the pot has got too small for it, certainly. Now, on saying that, you could you could still get away with leaving it in the pot for a while if you wanted, but uh, fairly soon the leaves will start getting paler green and yellowy and it'll look hungry. So I think it's probably better to get it out of it sooner rather than later and into a bigger pot. Unfortunately, because of the shape of those pots, I suppose the best way to, disco- to describe them, it's like the old-fashioned kind of cauldron pots, isn't it? Where yeah. it's kind of got a belly in the middle of it. So the, the top is narrower than the, the middle of it, which means it's next to impossible to get the root ball out without breaking the pot, I'm afraid. So, uh, yeah, you're going to... Now, it is plastic, so you are, you, you'll be able to cut it. Uh, you, I don't know will you'll be able to repair it afterwards or not, perhaps, but uh, it's certainly going to have to be cut to get that root ball out, Jess. OK, uh, this is from Caroline in Douglas. What is the best fertiliser for a man-made shallow bed which is now exhausted from overplanting? I have to say, all my own fault. <laughs> well, a fair admission at the end the, the best fertiliser of all is to start creating healthy soil so adding good organic matter to the soil uh, if it, she says it's a shallow bed she doesn't say that um, that it has to remain so do you know what I mean so what I would say is if you can add some good like even your homemade compost some well rotted farmyard manure even chipped bark and just start adding that to the top of the soil you know, the earthworms and the soil microbes will start to assimilate it into the existing soil. You can dig it in if you want, but there probably isn't even any need and just start planting into that. If that's not an option for whatever reason, if you can't raise the level of it at all, I'm not talking about creating a raised bed around it. I'm just talking about putting a few inches of the material on top. Um, If that's not an option and you just want a a fertilizer, uh, I would look at something like an organic chicken manure pellet or something like that. Um, There's a very good one. I'm trying to remember the name of it. It's the, the fast grow, fast grow. It, you'll see it in most garden centers. I've seen it around a lot and I've used that myself. It's a very good one. It's an Irish made product um, and it's based on, on, on seaweed and chicken manure. So I would give that a go, certainly. But in the first instance, I'd look at it just improving the soil by adding more organic matter to it. Teresa wants to know, can she divide hellebore plants which have spread? And if so, can you do it now? yes you can do it can you do it now no I'm, that's why I'm hesitating a bit, you're a bit early they're in full flower at the moment or they should be um, I would wait you you normally would divide your herbaceous uh, which which hellebore is any of these perennials uh, kind of early in the winter to now but actually hellebores because they're a winter flowering perennial uh, you wait a while for them you don't cut them back till the flowering is nearly finished so probably about a month's time is when I'd be cutting them, or dividing them 
Okay, this is gorgeous. I'll get John Paul to send you on the picture afterwards. But somebody said, six years ago, I moved into my forever home. The garden was just grass and bare walls. I started following and taking on Peter Dowdell's advice and started digging and just experimenting. This is today and the colour is heartwarming and it's just beautiful. She's got gorgeous colour already in the garden this early in spring. It's beautiful. So well done. And that's what gardening is all about. It's about digging and experimenting. It's, it's trial and error. Do send that on because I'd love to see it. And I actually had the pleasure yesterday of calling to a garden of uh, 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 Margaret Norton. She may well be listening to you now up in Dunhamore. Many will know her. She opens her garden for the hospice from time to time. But uh, I was up there yesterday looking around. And the first time I was there giving a few tips and pointers was nine years ago, I think, Trish. And um, you want to see what they've done herself and her son, Corey, what they have done in the nine years. It's just fantastic but it is it's just that it's it's get out there give it a go you'll end up moving things you'll end up making mistakes and but you know what it's it's, beauty first of all is in the eye of the beholder and second of all no matter how beautiful it is or not you'll have certainly great fun on the journey And, and the one thing I find you can while away hours without even noticing it best therapy you can ever yeah, have not yeah. to mention the physical work though. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's fantastic yeah. uh, Hi uh, Patricia could you please ask uh, Peter and this is kind of similar to what number of calls what can I do for my lawn it's a carpet of moss how do I get rid of it like this it's just a lot of, it comes up every year but it seems to be particularly maybe we had a very wet winter did we there seems to be a lot of people have moss problems We've, I, th- I think we've had two very wet winters and a particularly wet summer. And I know we did get a couple of dry, warm spells, but it's been a... I don't know what the statistics, I haven't checked, but I'm fairly sure the last 18 months have been, you know, wetter than normal, let's say. So, y- yes, I mean, moss will just thrive in our warm and damp climate. Um, the, the best thing to do with it really is to scarify it. We discussed scarifying last week. It's really where you give it a mechanical rake, Trish. It kind of rips up the existing moss and the thatch, which is at the base of the grass. Uh, and what thatch is, it's, it's kind of, it's dead and decaying tissue from the, from the grass. It's building up in the soil surface. And it becomes a problem when, it, when it's building up quicker than it can break down, if you know what I mean. That leads to kind of poor growing conditions for the grass, okay? Now, to scarify it will remove a lot of that thatch or alleviate a lot of that thatch, and it will remove the moss. Um, and to do, like, it's, it's, you know, back to basics a lot in the garden. It's back to hand weeding to get removing of, of weeds, back to kind of raking or scarifying to remove moss. It's the best thing you can do. And then when you're treating the lawn, certainly in the first instance, don't dream, if you want my advice, do not dream of using these lawn weed feed and moss killers because they're full of chemicals. You're, you're blanket bombing the lawn with, with unnecessary chemicals that may or may not work on the moss. So please don't do that. But also the, the moss killing products that are based on sulfate of iron, which many of them are, Trish, they, they will kill your moss. They'll turn it black and you'll be left with black moss. I prefer green moss personally, but um, you'll still have to get rid of the black. But the other problem is with the sulfate of iron-based solutions, they're making the soil a bit more acidic, which is the ideal conditions for moss to come back. So use something that's more alkaline and based on garden lime because that's ideal pH for grass, but um, it, it creates conditions that moss can't tolerate. So look at increasing the pH of the soil to, in, in the lawn to prevent moss. Okay, somebody wants to know, is it okay to remove withered pieces from flowers and shrubs if there's new growth coming through, either by cutting it or just pulling it away? Absolutely, and particularly if they're perennials, Trish, so if they're kind of, you know, flowering herbaceous perennials, which of what that term means is just a plant, a perennial is a plant that will come on every year, and the herbaceous just means that it dies back every year in the winter. So with herbaceous perennials, you'll have all that brown, you know, for want of a better word, dead material uh, up over the ground. You can choose to leave it up there for the winter or not, uh, but it is 
in effect dead. It's dead material, so you can remove it whenever you want and just let the new growth come in March. As you say, you can just pull it off or cut it off. Absolutely safe to do. If we're talking about shrubs, it's slightly different. Uh, it'll, it'll be a certain pruning. You'd need to, you, you know, I couldn't give a catch-all answer on that. But if it's just flowering perennials where all the growth has died back for the winter, absolutely, you could remove all that growth now, the dead growth now. Okay, a listener said last year they had a lot of black spot on their roses. How do you prevent it happening this year? That's a well-timed question because it's we did have a lot of black spot and all these fungal infections, again, tying back to the climate, um, Tricia, our warm, damp climate is the fungal infections like this thrive in these conditions. Uh, and the reason it's well-timed, the question is because it's much easier to prevent the roses from getting these infections uh, than it is to cure them. So, and one of the ways that you help to prevent them getting it is with good pruning and pruning your roses should be done ideally before the end of February, early March, so in the next few weeks. Prune, bearing in mind two things, I don't want to overly complicate it, the two things to bear in mind when you're pruning roses are that you're trying to avoid any crossing branches and that you're pruning to a leaf bud or a node that's pointing out, in other words, away from the centre of the plant. Because as you can imagine, if all the stems start growing through the centre, Trish, and across the centre of the plant, they're all crossing, they're rubbing against each other, it gets very congested. This leads to poor air circulation within the plant and obviously, again, ideal conditions for, for fungal infections. If they're kind of, if you have a nice open centre, a lot of air going through the plant, branches aren't crossing, that's much healthier for the plant and it makes it much uh, much more likely to prevent it getting these fungal infections. Also, a drench with um, with copper sulphate and water, solution of copper sulphate mixed with water, drench with that, uh, just when the leaves are coming out in the rows, probably another few weeks yet, uh, and that will help again to prevent any of these fungal problems. And a final question, could you please ask Peter if a China girl tree that was planted five years ago can it be transplanted? Do you know what a China girl tree is? I do, yeah, yeah. It's a, t- a variety of cornus or dogwood, cornus, cows, a China girl. Um, really beautiful tree, actually, white flowering. They planted it five years ago. It can be moved. Your window of opportunity is more or less gone because the temperatures are going against you, I'm afraid, but the leaves are burp busting. Um, you'd normally, I would suggest moving it between November and end of February. You still have a week or two in, in by the textbook, but like you kind of judge by what the trees are doing more than the textbook and the, the trees are coming into leaf. Um, however, it's only five years. So it it is, you know, technically we would call that established if it's five years, but y- you could, uh, ideally I'd probably wait till November before I would do it. But if it needs to be done, do it now, get as big a root ball as possible, uh, move it to its new home immediately. In other words, have its new home ready before you lift it. Um, uh, prune it back a bit over the ground to counteract the root damage that you're going to do in, in the move uh, and then pay close attention to watering it this, this spring and summer nature may do that for you but uh, <laughs> equally it may not so you'll have to pay attention to that yourself Okay and a very quick one that's come in Hi Peter my hydrangeas have lots of new shoots should I cover it uh, particularly with the next few days being forecast for a little bit of frost? No, I wouldn't personally, I wouldn't be worried about that. I mean, yes, we may get a little bit of frost. It may damage those tender new shoots, but that'll only, I, well, touch wood, this could come back to bite me now, but <laughs> that should only be very superficial damage. I yeah. wouldn't be, they, they might go very dramatically black, but they'll grow out of it very quickly. Okay, have a great week and we'll talk to you next Wednesday. 
and you. Thanks, Trish. Thanks for that. That is uh, Peter Dowdell, the Irishgardener.com. Just a couple of final texts in. We were talking about Coronation Street earlier. Uh, a listener says, I, I still watch old Coronation Street episodes from the 70s and 80s. You can actually watch them on YouTube. I didn't realise they're available on uh, YouTube. There's absolutely no violence uh, shown. It was a much gentler age, says this uh, texter. We spoke with poor Jennifer and the problems she had with Ampost, but that led to her also saying the couriers are fine. Well, a listener says, and I'm not going to name this particular courier, but one says one particular courier, they're a disaster. I've had few packages just thrown over the wall, left in the rain. They didn't even bother to open the gate. But I would like to compliment one particular courier and give a big shout out to DPD fabulous service and Joe is the delivery driver where I live in Bandon so if anybody knows Joe the DPD uh, driver in Bandon tell him that we were giving him a shout out and that he's doing really well and then Anthony this is on the money going from the Irish government going up to services and um, up north and for roads up uh, north why says Anthony do we manage to send millions upon millions of euro to the four corners of the planet and now we've decided that we're giving funding to the UK. Is it not hurtful to the many people in this country that need funding and simply can't get it? But maybe it's a financial return to the British who are now defending our waters. Although Leo Varadkar, our Taoiseach, will not admit it, says uh, Anthony. And hi, Patricia, this is Onion Skibbereen. I'm glad to hear that you're looking into and trying to highlight the costs in funding for post-mastectomy items that I only came across uh, yesterday. Uh, the media product and service providers and everyone should make a huge, huge fuss about this story because it's absolutely disgraceful. It's really disgusting that our government have stooped stooped so low and we're trying to find out exactly what is going on to do with post-mastectomy items and we'll bring it to you when we have more clarity. Got to leave it there. Thanks to John Paul and Stephen taking calls today. Nick is with you for the afternoon. I'll talk to you tomorrow at 10. Good afternoon. On C103. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Proud sponsors of the Cork GAA Club football leagues and championships. For motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.